Well, good morning once again, and welcome to our new sermon series called When the Strong Are Weak. And in some ways, isn't that an unusual, peculiar title for a sermon series about Samson? Because if you know anything about Samson, if you remember back to your Sunday school days, uh, if you think about Samson, all you think about is how there's this big guy who was really strong. So wouldn't Samson be someone who's considered to be strong? He fought off an army of a thousand Philistines. He tore a lion in two. Wouldn't he be considered to be strong? But as we look into the story of Samson, we see that even though how Samson was physically strong, he often was morally weak. Samson struggled with pride and lust and self-centeredness. So as we see someone who is strong but also as weak, we see that story in Samson where I also understand that that story is my story. Someone who believes in God, but also at times struggles with pride and lust and self-centeredness. And it's your story too. There are days where you might feel so strong and connected to the Lord and full of reading God's word and praying to God. But there are other days when you feel weak. Days where you did that thing again that you said you weren't going to do and you feel embarrassed by it. So what do we do when the strong are weak? Well, we look at the story of Samson. And before we get into the section that we're going to study today, I want to show you just one verse um, in the chapter beforehand, from chapter 13, that says, You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So this was the angel of the Lord talking to Samson's mother. And Samson's mother for many years struggled with infertility. She was barren for so many years and she prayed to God to have a child. And eventually the angel of the Lord said, you're going to have a child, but he's going to be special. This child is going to have a special mission of delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. The Philistines were the bad guys in the area, and they were taking over Israel. So before Samson was even born, uh, Samson was told that this was going to be the guy who leads Israel away from the Philistines. But to be this special leader, uh, Samson had to take a vow. They call it a Nazarite vow, showing that he's going to be very different. And there's really three parts to this vow. Samson's vow is told that he's not supposed to eat any grapes, so no juice, no wine, no touching dead stuff, no dead animals. Uh, and the, probably the most famous one of all, no haircuts. So Samson was this big, strong guy with long hair, and he was told as long as he did these things, he was going to have incredible strength. As long as he stayed away from wine, as long as he didn't get his hair cut, uh, God would be with him and help him to deliver uh, the Israelites from the Philistines. But as we see in this story coming up, Samson wasn't so good at keeping his vow. Eventually, Samson grew up, he, wasn't, he was a little boy, and he grew up, and he got to the point in his life where he started looking for a wife. And that's when the problems started. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have met a nice Lutheran girl. She is very sweet and will help me grow in my relationship with the Lord. You think Samson said that? You think he said, I'm looking for a nice Lutheran girl? Let me, let me show you what it actually says. I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. So what was Samson's criteria for picking a spouse? 
That one. She looks good. And, as you can see, he's going to cause all sorts of problems by picking someone to be his wife simply because of physical attraction. Uh, as I could argue today, that if you pick someone to be your spouse simply because of physical attraction and not thinking about how it's going to affect your relationship with the Lord, uh, there's going to be some devastating consequences. Um, and that's what we see in the Samson story, that because he did this, uh, he's going to have consequences in his life, simply picking someone based off of physical attraction. And his parents, they tried to talk him out of it. They said, isn't there an acceptable woman among our people? Must you go to the Philistines? Samson had the job of delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. And you want to get married to one? But, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. So uh, Samson, you know, he had his parents try and talk him out of it. But Samson's going to do what Samson wants to do, right? No one can stop him from making up his mind. He's stronger than anyone else. And he says, no, I'm going to get married to this woman. So his parents are reluctant, but they agree. And they travel to the Philistine territory uh, to try and find this woman to talk to her parents. Um, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. So Samson's walking to the Philistine territory through a vineyard, which probably isn't a great way how to stay away from grapes. Right? Walking through a vineyard. Um, and as he's walking through there, uh, he sees a lion. And like I said, most people, if you see a lion, I'm going to run away. But Samson tore it apart with his bare hands. But he did something interesting. I got a new clicker today. Uh, but he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And I find that interesting that he didn't tell his father and mother that he killed this lion. Because if I ever killed a lion... You guys would be so sick and tired of hearing about it. <laughs> Remember that one time I killed a lion? Yeah, it was a great day. It talked about how strong it was, how brave I was that I killed a lion. Um, and when Samson killed this lion, he didn't say anything about it. Um, and he had a good reason for hiding it. Uh, we see in the next verse, He scooped out of the honey with his hands, and he ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So, uh, this lion died and the carcass kind of just stayed there so long that a beehive was made there. And Samson went back to the same vineyard and he saw the lion, um, the lion's body and he saw this beehive and he took some honey from it. It's kind of weird. But the reason why he ate it and gave it to his parents and didn't say anything, because he's breaking his vow again. He's not supposed to touch anything that's dead, but here he is, touching dead stuff, doing whatever he wants, doing whatever he wants, uh, not listening to his vow. And he doesn't tell his parents that because he doesn't want to get in trouble for breaking his vow. And that leads to our first point. Unlimited power often leads to problems. Unlimited power often leads to problems. That kind of sounds like a moral of like a superhero movie, right? You know, with great power comes great responsibility. Kind of, kind of lines up with that. Um, but it's true. If you have unlimited power, chances are you're going to do whatever you want, and that will lead to some problems in your life. Think about Samson for a moment. He's stronger than anyone else. So if you have a problem with Samson, what are you going to do? Call the cops? Cops can't take him down. He's stronger than anyone else. Uh, if Samson wants to get married to a certain woman, 
What's going to happen? Samson's going to get married to that woman. And Samson, with his power, he did whatever he wanted. He broke his vows. He tried to get married to a Philistine woman. He disrespected his parents. And that led to all sorts of problems in his life. So what about you and me? How often do you keep God's commandments simply because you don't want to get caught? How different would your life be if you knew you would never get caught? Do you not steal from your work simply because you know there's a chance you could get fired? Do you not talk with that coworker or flirt with that coworker simply because you know it could cause a problem in your marriage? How many things do you do simply because you're afraid of the consequences? What would happen if those consequences went away? What would happen if you knew you would never get caught? Would you still pay your taxes if you knew you'd never get caught if you didn't? How many of these things would you, would you, how different would your life be if you never had consequences for your actions? And when we think about that, I think we are, I think we should be pleased that there are consequences for our actions. It keeps us from making a mess out of our lives. But I think we also need to repent for all the times that we kept God's laws for the wrong reasons. All the times where we didn't do that one sin simply because we are scared of what might happen to us. That's not love for the Lord. That's fear of getting caught. So we need to repent for that. We need to repent for all the times where, even though we might not have had unlimited power, the times where we are too scared to commit sins, and that's the only thing that held us back from that. We see that played out in Samson's life in the next verses. Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. So Samson's going forward with having this uh, wedding for him and this Philistine girl. Um, and uh, so he has this big feast, as was customary, before the wedding. And he picks 30 men basically to be his groomsmen. That's a lot of groomsmen today, but that's kind of what's the custom, to have this big party with 30 companions. And they're hanging out, talking with each other, and they want some uh, party entertainment. So Samson says this. You guys want to hear a riddle? Sounds like a fun party game, right? I'm going to tell you this riddle, but here's the stakes. Uh, if you can guess the riddle, I'm going to buy each one of you a new outfit. So 30 outfits, I'm going to give you 30 outfits. But if you can't guess the riddle, you have to give me 30 outfits. Sound good? And they say, yeah, sure, tell us the riddle. And here's the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And it's a bit of an odd riddle. The answer to this riddle is that honey that was found inside of that strong lion, which is really hard because you couldn't just guess that. There's no what's black and white and red all over. Oh, a newspaper. I thought about it long enough. Yeah, it makes sense. But this one, uh, you're not going to be able to figure it out um, unless you knew Samson's life. It's a, it's a little bit of a trick. Um, and now these guys are upset. As you can imagine, they're like, come on, tell us the riddle. What did you do? You brought us here to steal from us? You brought us to a party so you could steal our clothes? That's what you want to do? And they get upset about this. So they come up with a plan. And they find Samson's fiance. And this is what they say to her. Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. So it kind of takes it up to the next level, huh? Either tell us the answer to this riddle, or we're going to burn your house down and your father's house. Um, so as you can imagine, this woman is scared. She's like, well, I don't want my house to get burned down. Uh, so she talks to Samson. 
Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't even told me the answer. Oldest trick in the book, am I right? So she says, Samson, you don't even love me anymore. We're going to get married soon, and you don't love me? You didn't tell me the answer. And she just cried. The Bible says that she cried for the seven days of the feast. So this was not just a one-day thing. Samson didn't want to tell her the riddle, but she just kept crying and nagging him day after day after day to the point where the party was almost over, and she wore him down, and he said, Fine, I'll tell you the riddle. It's this, it's this honey that I found inside of a lion. That's the answer. And what a surprise. All of a sudden, all of his 30 friends now do, knew the answer to the riddle. So they came up to him and told him the answer. And then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave them their clothes to those who explained the riddle. So Samson was upset that these men figured out the answer to the riddle. And he says, fine, you guys want some clothes? So he went to their hometown, found 30 different Philistines, killed all of them, took the clothes off their body and said, you want some clothes? Here's some clothes. Kind of gross, huh? But that's what Samson did. He, he found these men, he took, he took their outfits from the strength of the Lord, um, and he gave them their outfits. And the story ends with this. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. So Samson was angry, he left the party, he went home, and the woman who he was going to get married to was given to one of the other 30 guys. And that's the story. Kind of odd, huh? It's a, it's, a, it's a strange story in the Bible, talking about how Samson, you know, he was at this party, and then he ended up killing 30 Philistines. So what's the point of this? Well, there was one verse that I didn't show you in the beginning. There was one verse when Samson was talking to his parents, and his parents were trying to talk him out of marrying this woman, and it's a parenthetical statement, and I think it's really the key to understanding this story. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to comfort, to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So from our point of view, Samson was just making a mess out of his life. He was doing all sorts of bad things. And you're right, he was doing bad things. He was making a mess out of his life. But from God's point of view, he was accomplishing his purpose. God was looking for a way to have Samson be his messenger, to be his instrument, to destroy some of the Philistines. And even though it didn't make sense to us as the readers, it didn't make sense to his parents, it didn't make sense to Samson, uh, he was carrying out God's will. And that leads to an important point. Our merciful God uses messy people. Each one of us in this room, at some level, is a mess. You know what you've done. You know the things that you've said. You know the things that you've thought. But our merciful God uses messy people. God used a messy, sinful person like Samson to be his hero of faith, to confront the Philistines. And he uses you and me. I'm a pastor at this church. I didn't become a pastor at this church because I got my life put together better than all of you. I didn't get to become a pastor at the church because I'm perfect and I've never done anything wrong. But I'm comforted knowing that God uses messy people. God has a mission for each one of us. And you might look at yourself and say, how could I ever fulfill that mission? How could I ever go out and tell people about Jesus? How can I do what God wants me to do? I know what I've done. I know the mess I've made in my life. 
But our merciful God uses messy people. He uses messy people like me. He uses messy people like Samson. I know he can use messy people like you. You know this in your life, but God still has a mission for you. No one in this world is perfect. Jesus was perfect, but all of us here, we've created messes in our life. And God still uses us for his mission. And when I look back at the Samson story, I'm kind of reminded of something like this. A strongman competition. Maybe you've seen one on like ESPN4 or something like that. Every once in a while they have strongman competitions where they have really strong guys do crazy things like flip tires or pull tractors. And every time I see something like that, I think to myself, why are you using your strength for that? Where were you two months ago when I moved? Would have loved to have you move my couch. It would have been great. Why are you using strong men to use your strength for something pointless like that? And as we read the Samson story, I think that's kind of what we're left scratching our heads at. Why did you do that? Why did you act in your anger like that? Why did you make that mistake again? Why did you use your strength to do that? Well, let's answer that question. Our merciful God uses messy people. Samson used his strength in strange ways, sometimes sinful ways, but God still used him. The same is true for you and me. So how do we become spiritually strong? What do we do to have be strong, not just in the world's eyes, but to be strong in God's eyes? Well, our strength comes from someone who was strong but became weak. Jesus Christ, who is stronger than anyone else, came to this world to be strong for us. Satan, or uh, Jesus was so strong that he went toe-to-toe with Satan and won. Jesus cast out demons and walked on water. And he was spiritually strong. He knew the Bible better than any of us ever could. But yet, Jesus laid aside his strength, and he became weak. From our earthly view, Jesus was weak. He had a crown of thorns put on his head. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross. Jesus, the strongest man who ever lived, became weak for you and me so that he could give us strength. So he could give us strength and forgiveness. Forgiveness for all the messes that we made in our life, but strength to carry out his mission. That's what Jesus did. He was strong, but he became weak so that people like you and me could be strong in God's eyes. So that people like you and me could have a home in heaven. Because we know that our merciful God uses messy people. We do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We continue now with the We Praise You, O God, printed on page 5 of your bulletin.